we're going to continue to think about Jesus and some of the things that the Quran says about him. In the Quran, he is given many titles. One of the titles is that he is called the Messiah. Although the word Messiah isn't always understood in the sense that we want it to be understood, still it appears many times and appears with statements. Jesus is called Messiah and he is one of the righteous. It's interesting that this is only used of him, not of any of the other prophets. And the word is rather unique so that Jesus is thought to be pure and perfect and set apart very different than anyone else. Although at the same time denying deity, he is given a title of being righteous, which also is referred to in the Hadith. There's a very interesting Hadith in one of Bukhari's books that Jesus is the only person who Satan was not able to touch. He was untouched by Satan. Now, exactly what does that mean? <laughs> because as you would remember, or we think of the story of Adam and Eve, the creation story and the story of their making a mistake or their disobedience is not clearly understood as a serious problem or a mistake, or that Satan, Satan is there and Satan is spoken of as his enemy, but the, uh, this problem is not spoken of as sin and the consequences of sin or a separation or a break in relationship from God. It's just something that happened. And yet here we find that there is something that everybody in the world's been touched by except that Jesus doesn't have it and whatever it is understood to be. And Jesus is also spoken of as the nearest to God. But then we have quite often the use of his personal name in the expression, Asa ibn Maryam, the Messiah. Asa is the name that the Quran uses. Sometimes it's rather confusing or disturbing. People say there's no connection between Asa and Jesus or Yeshua in Arabic. Yet there is only some references that possibly it referred to a Syrian group of people who were followers of someone known as Asa. But we have very little background to the meaning of the word. So it does present a difficulty in understanding who Asa was, if that was the correct name that was given. But the problem of Jesus being given the title of son of Mary announces completely always that he is a human son. And this is quite a difficulty because it is understood that he has human biological connections to Mary, which is true, but there is no biological connection to any other way, which also is true, because they tend to think that we as Christians are believing that he is a biological son of God. And they try to interpret son continually as physical, which is rather not always quite the thing because many times in that culture I remember lots of people saying oh you're a son and a daughter of Tunis you're a son of Morocco you're a son of this college you're a son of we use the term constantly in Arabic in a picture in a myth 
as a parable of something and not as a biological word. And especially the word even can be used that way. Uh, there is another term for son, which is the biological meaning, the will. That clearly is a biological son. But the word use of Jesus is not that. It's always the one that is able to be expressed in a parable or as a picture of something without any biological meaning. Jesus is also called a prophet, which is then for our friends would say there's the prophet Abraham, there's the prophet Noah, there's the prophet Muhammad, and Jesus is a prophet in the same line of meaning. Although it is true, I think we don't mention it very often, but I always think when we sing one of the Christmas carols, we talk of him as prophet, priest, and king. But generally, we don't use the term prophet with Jesus. Jesus is also known in the Quran as an apostle. The word apostle has to do with being sent. And in John's gospel, John talked of Jesus and Jesus saying that as the Father has sent me, so I send I you. The term is appropriate and correct. The problem is that many of the words that are correct in a sense, but the meaning that our friends are giving to them is a different meaning. There's another one that is very special to Christians and that Jesus in John's Gospel is spoken of, in the beginning was the Word. So that expression shows us that Jesus is eternal. He was in the beginning and the Word was God. And so Kalimatullah or Word of God is a wonderful expression. But some of my Muslim friends will argue that it says a word and not the word. But actually in, in Arabic it does say with the title, the word and the scriptures. But their difficulty in accepting the Bible's expressions so that they would translate it in their thinking to just being a word as if there were other words from God. And another title given to him is that he is the Spirit of God. These titles are quite frequently used all throughout the Quran. But sometimes you can find ways to talk about Jesus through these titles. That's why I think it's very good for us to remember them. But one thing I found helpful in talking about Jesus is called the Son of God is that we can sometimes say, we didn't give Jesus that title, God did. So if you look in the, the different Gospels at the story of Jesus' baptism and Jesus' birth and his transfiguration, you will find that God called him, this is my beloved son. It's a title that God himself gave to Jesus at various occasions. It's what God called him. And so we are happy to use that term because God gave him this expression. But the Jesus of the Quran, who is he then? He would seem to be just another person. But he given honor, but is honor enough? It doesn't give him the statements of who he really is. He has no death, no resurrection. And if there's no resurrection for Jesus, there's no resurrection for us. If he didn't die, there is no savior. There is no solution. That just like to help you to understand some verses that were Jesus' words. 
quite a lot of times my Muslim friends have said to me, why didn't Jesus say he was God? If he's really God, why didn't he just say so? Well, Jesus did say so, but maybe not in that way. Uh, in John's Gospel, we have many of those statements that Jesus said so clearly who he was. In John eight fifty eight, we have that statement that he made when the Jews were asking him, before Abraham was born, I am. And this very clearly relates to the statements of God giving his name to Moses and to in the Old Testament that he was Jehovah, that he was God. And the Jews understood very clearly and they wished to pick up stones and kill him right then and there. They understood what Jesus said of himself. And then again, he used expressions in throughout John's gospel that I and the Father are one. And again, we notice right quickly, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. So it wasn't that it was vague or unclear. People understood what he said. And then he said, if anyone loved me, he will obey my teaching and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. All throughout John's gospel, I find also that it's very good to use all the I am's. I am the light. I am the way. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door or the gate. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the vine. These statements are very helpful in helping us to see who Jesus is and that he actually was saying that he was God. It wasn't hidden, but it was there. I think some of the other passages, why do we believe that Jesus is who he is? And again, John's gospel is one of those that is very clear. For the Muslim friends, it's quite often that they do not accept that these passages are about God or that the, the scriptures that are acceptable. But they have in recent times tried to use the gospel of Barnabas to talk about the gospel and that this is the true gospel and not the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, sometimes I think it's the, we need to be careful the way we express ourselves. I often say, just say that God said, when, and I don't emphasize that this is what Mark said or Matthew said or John said, because they continually then say, oh, it's a human person who said it. But it's God who's speaking through John or God is speaking through the men that he used. The concept that God could speak through human people is hard to grapple with because they believe that the Quran came from heaven completely without human intervention in any sense. Of course, you will find some Muslims who understand that that's not true, but many Muslims, that is the basic kind of over picture that the Quran is perfect, never changed, and came from heaven that way and is still the same today. But they use the Gospel of Barnabas. I don't know if you've heard of the Gospel of Barnabas, but sometimes it causes us lots of confusion. There was such a thing as a, the Epistle of Barnabas, which also appeared very, very early and is sometimes seen in early manuscripts. And there was something called the Acts of the Barnabas, which also was a, 
an apocryphal gospel, which is not accepted by other people as being anything true from God. But the gospel of Barnabas that the Muslims are talking about is actually a very late and very clearly has many things about it that show that it is not a true book and that it has many problems and it is in the Middle Ages. The earliest mention of the Gospel of Barnabas is in a Spanish or Moresco manuscript in 1634 in Madrid. The manuscript was written by Ibrahim Tabili, a Tunisian, it seems, who used the Spanish name Juan Perez and came from Toledo, Spain. He was known as a translating ability in Spanish and in Arabic. Later, we find in 1709 that it is an Italian copy that is rec recognized and seen in Amsterdam, which later is probably the copy that is brought to London. Muslims became aware of it when George Sale, in his English translation of the Quran, mentioned it and spoke about it in his introduction, giving a few extracts from it in the introduction to his Quran. He mentions the story somehow about a manuscript of a gospel being stolen out of the Pope's library in Rome. Thomas Hughes mentions it again in 1885, again, but the Spanish copy. And 1907 is where we come to the Laura and her husband, Rug, translated the Italian text into English. And this is when the Gospel of Barnabas, the one that's available now, was made widely known and published in English and became available throughout many parts of the world. And also the Muslim world became aware of its translation and this copy. But there is no evidence that if it's a gospel, and it's a gospel of Jesus, that this gospel was written at the time shortly after Christ or even in the first early centuries after Christ, before Muhammad. In the early history, in Islamic history, there is no reference to it at all. In the different debates that John of Damascus had, there is no mention of it. It seems that there were other Christian documents, such as this gospel, that Muslims would have questioned and asked about them in these various debates with John of Damascus or Bishop Timothy in Baghdad or Bishop Elijah in the ninth century also. Later we see that looking at it as a gospel, there is no eternal evidence within it that would give it status as being a gospel or being a book of noteworthy. <laughs> the internal evidence seems to give descriptions in its geog geography and its descriptions of people and lifestyle to be during the Middle Ages. One of the first indications that it is the time of the Middle Ages is the question of celebrating the hundredth year, the Jubilee. Jubilee throughout scripture and throughout other cultures was always 50 years. But at that time in 1300, Pope Boniface VII celebrated a Jubilee for a hundred years. 
but later Pope Clement VI changed it back that it is a 50-year celebration and issued the degree that the next one would be in 1350, not 100 years. So the person who was writing this manuscript, Gospel of Barnabas, must have lived after that period to have written of jubilees of 100 years because they didn't exist prior to the 1300s. The next interesting or odd thing, perhaps, is that there are quotes from Dante's Inferno and other poetry by Dante, and they seem to be word for word, almost from the Latin into this document, so that paradise is so great that man can measure it. Verily I say unto you that there are nine heavens, and that paradise is greater than all the earth. And then the passage about the seven centers in hell and seven kinds and seven gates, what Satan's generations are in several seven punishments. All of these descriptions fit the poetry and lines from Dante's work, which also were dated into 1400s. The medieval society is represented, and we have Mary and Martha and Lazarus attending harvest in the fall, whereas the crops in the Middle East are harvested in May and June, primarily, and also that they put their wine in great casks and had pottery vessels, whereas wine was kept in skins in the time of Jesus and for many years until barrels were invented in the Middle Ages. There's also a a very description of Christian asceticism that had come into being after the 7th and 8th centuries of people weeping and collecting their tears in bottles. So many of these descriptions fit so clearly the time of the Middle Ages and not the time of the first century. Especially the geographical errors would signify that the person not only is writing at a wrong time, but is writing from somewhere other than living in Palestine. He doesn't understand the geography. He writes about Jesus taking a boat and coming from Jerusalem to Nazareth by sea or Nazareth to Capernaum by sea, where that wouldn't be possible. There are a few dates concerning rulers and people at that time. Ananias was the high priest, but we have some of the different high priests named and that that Mary was great with child during the time of Ananias and Pilate, where that came later in Jesus' life. And Daniel was two, year old, two years old when he was living in Bethy, Babylon and three when he was set up as a king. So some of the strange things don't fit the geographical or the historical evidence of the period of time of Jesus' life to be a gospel that would be authentic. But what is appealing and perhaps causes our Muslim friends to want to use the gospel as an appropriate one rather than the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the teaching on God. Jesus teaches the people that God has neither father nor mother and no equals. So it does resemble sort of 112 that God has no children or any partners. This the things that Jesus taught about angels with that they were writing up his good and bad deeds of every person, which also is a statement that would be Islamic. And books were given miraculously. Amazingly, it was so small and had nothing to learn to read, and yet he had such doctrine in him, and he was, Jesus was given a book at the temple. 
the miraculous knowledge of books and so forth fits the Quranic text, not the scriptural text. And on prophets, Jesus is spoken of as not divine and just a man. And Jesus and his disciples practiced praying five times a day and were very careful not to have idols and were strictly monotheists. There was no divinity to Christ and no trinity. Also includes that Jesus asked his disciples who would die for him on the cross and it was Judas who was going to die. So we have many things that fit Islamic teaching and not gospel teaching. So it would be favorable for our Muslims to appreciate it and like it, but there is no historical evidence and all these types of errors would discredit the book. And there are a few Muslim scholars who also would said in his dialogues that the assessment is that it is not a valid book, that it is apocryphal. And so other Muslim scholars would give, not give credit to it either. So in thinking of the life of Jesus, we've seen the difficulties we might face in sharing Christ with our Muslim friends who do not accept Jesus' death, who do not accept Jesus is a son of God or his deity. And of course, the other question is some of the reason they do not accept it is because they do not accept the scriptures that speak about him. So I hope these thoughts will help you in thinking about the things you need to explain to your friends and helping them see who Jesus is. I think that it's good to use the Gospels himself, even though they might not believe that it is true. I, I've noticed that people that work with Muslims, some myself and my friends, when people constantly tell you the Bible's not true, then you think, well, I should just try to explain things. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't explain it from the Bible just because they say they don't believe it. Sometimes we kind of feel discouraged or kind of become put off, but to continually to use the word because we know it's true and quick and powerful. And I think the story that the Jews found very difficult to accept, the one in the beginning of Mark with the paralytic man, that his friends brought him to Jesus to be healed. And when he comes let in down in front of Jesus. It must have been quite shocking. First of all, the roof's coming off, probably dirt's coming on. Uh, people are crowded down below and they don't want to let the man fall down on top of the people or Jesus, all these problems. And then they find a way and the man comes down into the midst of this crowd, interrupting the teaching, interrupting the, the Pharisees and the other people who are trying to be questioning with Jesus. And then Jesus, looking on a man who is paralyzed, says to him, your sins are forgiven. Rather surprised, he came for healing. Is that what he came for? That is his friend's thing. All the way here, and now this man says, your sins are forgiven. But then Jesus said to him to be healed and take up his bed, which is showed that he was healed completely, not only spiritually and physically, completely healed, that Jesus had a power that is uniquely something that came from God and that man could not do. And so sometimes looking at the pictures, what he did, who is he? he ha we begin to put together a picture that he's someone that we cannot recognize just as a human, but he's more than a human, more than that, he is God.